Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit their website and find out more. Give them a call. It's johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We have terrific guests on today's show, and as we do every Monday, Mark Schulman is going to start off. We'll be talking about current global events. Uh, he's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll also visit with Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. He's got a new book, Was Jesus a Socialist? Why this question is being asked again and why the answer is almost always wrong. He's also written a column. Uh, we'll be talking about Jesus. Did he despise money? And we'll visit with Jim McTagg. He is fair, former Barron's Washington Bureau chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries, uh, Follow the Leader, and the sequel is Shake the Money Tree. It is June the 8th, and on this day in 1949, George Orwell's novel of dystopian future, 1984, was published. The novel's all-seeing leader, known as Big Brother, becomes a, a universal symbol for intrusive government and oppressive bureaucracy. He was a nom de plume of Eric Blair, who was born in India, the son of a British civil servant. Orwell attended the school in London and won a Scholarship to the elite prep school, Eton, where most students came from wealthy upper-class backgrounds, unlike Orwell. Rather than going to college like most of his classmates, he really immersed himself in uh, joining the in Indian Imperial Police and went to work in Burma in 1922. During his five years there, he developed a severe sense of class guilt. Finally, in 1927, he chose to return to Burma. Uh, while on a holiday to England, Orwell, choosing to immerse himself in the experiences of the urban poor, went to Paris, where he worked menial jobs and later spent time in England as a tramp. He wrote Down and Out in Paris and London in 1933, based on his observation of the poor classes, and in 1937, The Road to Wigan Pier, which documented the life of an unemployed in northern England. Meanwhile, he had published his first novel, Burmese Days, in 1934. He became increasingly left-wing in his views, although he never committed himself to any specific political party. He went to Spain during the Spanish Civil War to fight with the Republicans, but later fled as communism gained an upper hand in the struggle on the left. His barnyard fable, Animal Farm, one of my favorites, 1945, shows how the noble ideals of egalitarian economies can easily be destroyed. Distorted. The book brought him uh, his first taste of critical and financial success. His last novel, 1984, uh, brought him the last fame with its uh, grim vision of a future where all citizens are watched constantly and languages twisted to aid the oppression. He died of tuberculosis in 1950. Boy, he certainly was a visionary, wasn't he? He certainly understood the future. If you think back to 1949 when he wrote this book, he was looking forward to 1984. We look back from 1984 and realize how clear his vision was, how scary his vision was. Well, we now have 168 cases of COVID as of June the 6th, 56 are dead, 233 are hospitalized on the Paradise Coast, 971 of them are Hispanic, and 879 from Immokalee. So that just indicates to me the hot spot for COVID-19 is Immokalee. Uh, there's currently about 400,000 dead across the globe with 7 million, uh, 7 million cases that have been reported, of uh, that have been discovered around the globe. We'll be talking to Mark Schulman about this later in the show. Well, the northern Gulf Coast are expected to continue to deteriorate through the day sun as a tropical storm, Cristobal, moves ashore near Grand Isle, Louisiana. As of 1 a.m., maximum sustained winds were 50 miles an hour with higher gusts. Tropical storm and storm surge warnings have been issued for the areas in Cristobal's path. It's just a scary warning, reminding us that it's uh, kind of whistling past the grave graveyard here on the Paradise Coast, hoping that we'll avoid any kind of hurricanes and damage uh, this hurricane season, although Cristobal is certainly going to create some damage, some flooding. Uh, they're expecting up to 12 inches of rain. <clears throat> according to the uh, National Hurricane Center. 
Well, the big news on Friday was unemployment, over 2.5 million jobs created, indicating a possible V-shaped recovery of the economy. On Friday, the Dow was up 829, and futures are up today about 150. That's the Dow Jones Industrial Average futures. In fact, the market is up over 7% since the close of trading on May the 29th. But still, there's the underbelly of this entire thing is still 15 million more unemployed uh, than a year ago. 15 million more. So people need to get back to work. And whether this can happen, whether well, businesses will close, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of activity. There's a big downsizing in public employees uh, because, of course, the, the uh, uh, income for government uh, income is down substantially because of taxation and just a number of reasons. In any event, there will probably be a number of people played off in the public sector as well. Well, over the weekend, people around the world joined together in support of U.S. protests against racism and police brutality, whatever that is. Now, who's on board? Thousands from Paris, Berlin, and London to Cape Town, Seoul, Sydney, and more. In the U.K., protesters toppled a statue of a slave trader and threw it into a nearby harbor. Demonstrators chanted Black Lives Matter and George Floyd in solidarity with U.S. protesters. Back in the U.S., tens of thousands of people protested across all 50 states. So it's a global movement, just not a national movement. Now, moving to the epicenter of this entire thing, nine members of the Minneapolis City Council announced their support for defunding the Minneapolis Police Department and replacing it with a quote-unquote community-based public safety model (laughs) at a rally in Powderhorn Park Sunday on Sunday afternoon. At the end of the rally, the council members and some community activists committed ending the police, Minneapolis Police Department through the budget process. The group also announced its intention to engage either every willing community member to ask what safety means to them and create a new transformative model for cultivating safety. <laughs> With the support of nine council members, they have created a veto-proof supermajority in support of disbanding the police department. However, to take significant changes to the department or funding for the department, they need uh, likely need to have a public vote to change the charter. U.S. Representative Elon Omar uh, supports the nine council members' pledge. No one is advocating for lawlessness. No one is advocating for our community to be in danger or a crime to happen in Minneapolis without there being accountability, Omar said. (laughs) Well, you know what? The purpose of government is really to uh, protect us from internal and external predators. That's both the federal government as well as local governments. That's the purpose of government. And uh, the real source of that, of course, is our police departments and our sheriff's offices. Los Angeles Mayor Garcetti will cut $150 million from the LAPD budget, reinvesting the money back into black communities. What could possibly go wrong with that? (laughs) That's unbelievable. President Trump rallied against former Vice President Joe Biden and radical Democrats Sunday morning over a recent push to weaken law enforcement in the wake of George Floyd's death. Days after the death of Floyd, the Minneapolis man who died while in police custody, we've all seen that video, uh, say they call for a national defunding of police. Sleepy, here's a quote from the president, Sleepy Joe Biden, the radical left Democrats want to defund the police, Trump tweeted Sunday morning. I want great, well-paid law enforcement. I want law and order, tweeted the president. Biden, who recently secured enough delegates for his party's presidential nomination, has been supportive of demonstrators protesting against police brutality and racism, but has not called for defunding of the police. Well, this delayed reaction of Minnesota leaders to quell growing unrest in the shadow of George Floyd's tragic death resulted in mass rioting across Minneapolis-St. Paul area. Now the leaders want federal taxpayers to partially foot the bill for damage caused by violent protesters. According to Minneapolis Star uh, Tribune, more than 200 buildings across Minneapolis areas have been destroyed or damaged in the riots. Uh, which will require at least $55 million in repairs. However, that number will likely be much higher, up to the hundreds of millions of dollars, said Mayor Jacob Frey, a Democrat this week. I tell you, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Can you imagine President Trump's reaction to that one? They don't protect the city. They uh, criticize the police. They want to defund police. 
Well, you'd never know it from the media, but over the last five years, black satisfaction with their local police departments has soared from 50% being at least somewhat satisfied in 2015 to 72% now. The rate for other minorities has also gone up slightly from 65 to 68%. And while the rate for whites has fallen a little, so that it is now identical to the rate for blacks from 78 to 72%, This is a Monmouth University poll conducted by telephone uh, with over 807 adults in the United States. That was on June the 1st. That's just amazing. So the public is pretty much satisfied, yet the, the Minneapolis City Council wants to defund the police. Since 2006, at least 1,881 police officers have been filed, fired from uh, 37 of the nation's largest departments for misconduct of various types. Yet in nearly a quarter of those cases, departments were forced to reinstate fired officers after appeals required by union contracts. Now, if you really peel the onion on this, what you find out is that the unions are the streperous ones and uh, probably prevented the firing of the officer that killed uh, George Floyd. So uh, if you want to get to the bottom of police brutality and uh, bad types on the police force, and there aren't many, well, you just have to look at the unions, in my opinion. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community, thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees. The goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Golf Show Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps and the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part uh, by... 
the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. You can visit the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. My hope is, right now we have on the line, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. <laughs> I'm so grateful it's you. So, uh, Mark, uh, tell us about uh, HistoryCentral.com. Absolutely, Bob. History Central is a website that covers all of history, both world and American. It specializes in American history. It begins before the first uh, explorers arrived. It goes through the explorers, the colonies, the Revolutionary War, all the wars of, uh, that the United States has fought in, and goes to today, the last century is... In the 21st century, events in the 21st century, and the last entry is COVID-19. I think it was updated the last time three or four days ago. We have to update to put SpaceX uh, launch in. Probably this week we'll add that. So it goes all the way to the current events. We have special sections on all the presidential elections. We have sections on naval history. We have histories of every U.S. naval fighting ship, aviation history, railroad history. Uh, whatever you're interested in relating to history, we have it. Yeah, absolutely a great website. Uh, to get young people, kids of all ages, including you and I, should visit HistoryCentral.com. It's multimedia and really brings alive the history of uh, the world, especially in the United States here. Uh, HistoryCentral.com is the website. So, Mark, for the last at least decade, we've been talking about global events on Monday morning, usually right up to the minute of what's going on. Uh, one of the big stories is bringing troops home from Germany from the United States. I think it's 9,500 of them is uh, what the president has pledged. What are your thoughts? I think it's what the Russians have wanted for 70 years. I don't understand it. It makes no sense all of a sudden to be doing this at the moment. Um, the reality, literally the Russians have been trying, and the Soviets before that, to get American troops out of Germany since the beginning of the Cold War. Hmm. And why would we want to do that? unilaterally it makes zero sense doesn't really cost us any money to have them there to be honest because it's not like we're going to demobilize these troops right so they're just there and the germans pay for, for a good part of the basing so in reality it costs us less to have them in germany than it does to have them in the united states so, so the interesting question to me and this is this is always i think the president's style as he usually uh, makes a declaration like this it's probably i think the beginning of some sort of negotiation process per perhaps with no he just got angry at, Mer at merkel because she didn't want to come to his, uh, his g7 summit that's what this is probably about more likely i don't think what, what are we negotiating at the moment there's no i mean other than i mean what is there was no negotiations that we that, that is on the table right now uh, relating to, with Germany per se, other than I don't know, there was some some thing with tariffs the last the other day about lobsters versus cars or something. Because when we went to visit fishermen in Maine, I thought the um, I thought the G seven was canceled. It was canceled because no one would come. Hmm. That was why it was canceled. He wanted to have a G seven in person, and no one would come. And then he wanted to have it in in, in September and invite Putin. And oh, remember right. the fact yeah. that Putin was thrown out of the G7, right. or the G8, because of the invasion in Crimea, and nothing has changed about that. And the rest of the members of the G7 said, no, we're not coming if you're inviting Putin, because we don't want Putin, you know, he has not changed his behavior, why should we be inviting Putin? So, you know, so that's, you know... And, so it was canceled because no one will attend his summit. No, I didn't reality. know that. So interesting. Okay, so let's let's move to Hong Kong. We have protests in Hong Kong. They just uh, are continue the st strength that they've always had. Uh, again, there's, there's been uh, resisted strongly by the Chinese government. What, what are your thoughts? Well, look the other way. The Chinese government has been trying to change the status right now, mm -hmm. and they're trying to uh, basically remove whatever protections the people of Hong Kong have. Um, of course, the people of Hong Kong have pushed back. They've been demonstrating. They don't seem to be cowered by the Chinese government. I mean, no. they had a tremendous cele celebration, is not the right word, but commemoration for the Tiananmen Square massacre that took place, I guess, 30 years ago already at this point. Mm. Um, and so they're standing up for what they believe in. Uh, Great Britain has made it clear that it will take up to 2 million Hong Kong residents into and given citizenship if uh, if the Chinese insist on on changing the laws in Hong Kong, which violates the agreement that they have. 
Uh, Taiwan is also interested in having the people. Um, you know, having Hong Kong with no people is not going to be very useful. No, it's not. Now, I think we should open our borders, too, to the people from Hong Kong as well. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, you know, we, we talk about we want immigrants. Well, these are, immig- these are immigrants that of the best sort. are you know, hardworking. Yep. Uh, some of them are wealthy. All the things that we should be looking, you know, certainly look for in immigrants. Not that we should not look for other types of immigrants because we need all the United States, at least leaving aside COVID-19, generally has needed all types of immigrants because we have a shortage of workers in the United States. Well, we the birth, the birth rate right now is, is, is now that we're, our, our population, if we just depended on our current birth rate, is going to shrink dramatically if we don't bring in immigrants. So we need immigrants. No, absolutely. The only reason the United States has continued to grow, as opposed to all the other Western countries, except for Israel, actually, is because um, immigrants, immigration, both the immigrants add to people, obviously, the numbers of them. Plus, generally speaking, as we know historically, first and, gener- first and second generation immigrants have larger families. And once you reach the third generation, you start having much smaller families. Right. So, I mean, it, so, it, it's, it's so interesting to me that um, Hong Kong, we're having revolts there. There's been worldwide uh, protests uh, in support of what happened in Minneapolis to George uh, Floyd. Uh, is there any link to protest COVID-19 and what's happening right now? This seems to be kind of a, a confluence of events. Okay, so there's a confluence, and I think there is a link, some of it direct and some of it not so direct. So, look, generally speaking, um, the fact that there are protests all over the world sort of says to the fact that people are unhappy, let's put it that way. And when you're unhappy, you're more, or less, you're more likely to go out and protest. When you're not working... Well, you're not going to miss a day of work, so you're more likely to go out and protest. And mm-hmm. all over the world, there are lots and lots of people who are not working because of COVID-19. Yep. Um, on top of which, you know, there is a sense um, in many countries in the world that governments failed, mm-hmm. except New Zealand and Australia, but uh, governments throughout the world, and China, actually, that's a different story. We can talk about that in a different, different way. But governments throughout the world, whether they were the British government, whether they were the uh, French government, the Italian government, or the United States government, or the Swedish government, when it took a different path, all have failed their populations because no one but New Zealand, Australia, and China, and we don't even know what happened with Vietnam, it's an interesting question, managed to stop the spread of the disease. Yeah. And there is a general sense in all of these countries that most of the leadership has been, if not clueless, has not had a coherent strategy of how to tackle tackle the issue, and we now are at seven million cases in the world as of today. Right. So when you when you lose faith in governments, whichever governments they may be, to do what's you know the, the single most important thing is to protect you, whether it's protecting you from foreign ills or protecting you from from viruses, then you're more likely to go out and protest, even right. if it's a stupid thing to do because of the virus. You know, I mean, this is like a it's a little bit ridiculous, but that creates a, a sense of um, of anger. Now, in the United States, you have to keep in mind the fact that the African-American community statistically has been hurt much more by COVID-19 than the average American. Mm-hmm. So you throw that in, and that's a result of the fact that it's not that the disease hits African-Americans more likely, more, but it's because more African-Americans uh, who are working are in jobs that are forward-facing, where the bus drivers, uh, subway subway employees, all the sort of important, you know, essential services, quote unquote, that had to keep on working, mm-hmm. and policemen, firemen, all the things that required people to keep on working, um, and so as a result of keeping on working during the worst of the crisis, they had a, they have a higher rate of um, uh, of, of COVID nineteen, and then plus the fact that by and large they have worse health care on average, and of course, what's clearly clearly a case, and if we look at the mortality rates in COVID nineteen. People who people who get COVID nineteen who are in worse health have a higher mobility. Right. Morbidity dep- doesn't make a difference, you know, who they are or what they are. So, so that's those are great points, and, and I think you're, you're, uh, the the uh, anger at government is certainly warranted given what's happened with COVID nineteen. I, I get all that, but why the police? <laughs> why, you know, the Minneapolis uh, City Council wants to defund the police so that they want to reduce the funding in New York. They want to reduce the funding in Los Angeles. I mean, the purpose of government has one sole purpose, to protect us from internal and external predators. <laughs> That's not the... Right, ch- but, look, 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 but there, there's an old, 
there is an old, long-standing problem that exists, particularly in the United States. Look, you know, part of it has to do with the gun culture that exists. But look, I think police officers in the United States killed 380 people last year. In Great Britain, it was zero. In Australia, it was zero. In a bunch of countries, it was like one or two. Now, the reality is, like I said, more Americans have guns, and therefore it's more dangerous to be a police officer and everything else. But the reality is they killed 300 and some, some, some number of people last year, the police in the United States. Yeah. And, you know, that is a, is a problem, let's put it that way. And, of course, you know, what we saw on the tape, the, the tape was very, very powerful. Oh, it was. In the sense... In the sense that you know, I don't think we, I don't think we've ever seen something like that because basically we watched a man die. Yeah, uh, and you know there've been police shootings and everything else, and you can question a police shooting because you know the the moment and they think they see a gun and was it really a gun and all those questions sometimes come up, but this was not a, that one of those. Well, you know, Mark, what's interesting to me, today is the anniversary of the publication of 1984, George Orwell's nom de plume, and boy, was he prophetic. I mean, <laughs> you take a look at all the things that are going on right now. It's just unbelievable. Mark, we have to take a break. I do want to talk to you more about what's happening, especially with COVID-19. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show. On uh, the uh, Bob Harden, whoops, I've got to change my commercial break. I <laughs> didn't do it. Here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Congratulations on that big million-dollar donation to help fund the Performing Arts Center in downtown Naples. It's going to become a reality. You can find out more by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of Follow the Leader, Right now, we're continuing the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So, Mark, let's continue our discussion about COVID-19 and what's happening around the world. Uh, as you pointed out, 7 million people have been tested positive for COVID-19. There's probably double that, at least, that have it or are asymptomatic. And uh, 400,000 deaths, about 100,000 of them right here in the United States. What are your thoughts? A couple of things. Well, so let's look at the positive side. New Zealand has announced that it is 
COVID-19 free. Mm -hmm. It has not had a new case in 17 days. And they were eliminating all restrictions. They actually got rid of the. They got rid of it completely. Fab and things. that's positive. And of course, they can do that. They only have two airports, four million people, and they can just stop anyone from coming in and coming out. And anyone who comes in and out can be put in quarantine. And that's one way of doing it. And something that, of course, the United States can't ever do. Um, but they, they succeeded in doing that. Now you China said has you said that New Zealand. New Zealand, yes. Okay, what's, what's significant, I think, about that is it's also in the southern hemisphere, right? So, I mean, that you would expect, if anything, you'd expect the virus to, to uh, grow in the southern hemisphere now that we're turning to the in opposite seasons. Yeah, we would, um, but we've seen that the heat doesn't seem to make any big difference one way or the other. Mm. I mean, we've seen, you know, we've seen the, the, the virus is out of control in Brazil. It's out of control in Ecuador, Peru. In much of South America. Now it's suddenly starting to be out of control. No one really knows the numbers in Egypt. Um, so we, the, the summer part does not seem to be uh, a significant factor as far as um, people can tell at this point. It was hoped that this would happen, but yeah. it didn't end up being the fact. Even I'm here in Israel still, and in Israel they opened up about a month ago, and now suddenly we were, the country had like six, seven, eight cases a day. We're now up to 100 a day. Hmm. because of the, the removal of a lot of restrictions, and now bars are open and all those sort of places, and schools are fully open. And they've now had to close 140 schools so far because of um, kids of, kids or teachers have had COVID-19. Wow. So it, it's a real problem because, you know, you can't, you can't live as a, you know, we, we can't lock down everybody forever, forever, obviously. It just doesn't work economically, socially, or anything else. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, it's not, it's, it's not easy to figure out where the, what the right course is. And unfortunately, one of the problems we have, and this is a worldwide problem, I think, is we really can't rely on people to say, okay, we're opening up a business, we're opening up the restaurant, we're opening up whatever it might be, but you need to follow rules, you need to wear a mask, you need to do this, you need to do that, and people, people resent it, and people don't do it, and unfortunately... I, they've now discovered that um, if both parties, the one who's potentially infected and the one who might be infected, are both wearing masks, the chance of tr transmission drops by 90%. Hmm. So, you know, that's, that's incredibly significant because, once again, if you drop those statistics, the, the virus dies. So, but hmm. people don't do it. People don't, you know, we, we want our freedoms, and yet we're not willing to do things like wear masks and, you know, in China, everyone had a mask. Guess what? China is also pretty much COVID-19 free. They've had a few cases pop up in a few places. Well, you know, it doesn't help, help, Mark, that the uh, CDC, among others, uh, continue to change the position on what works and what doesn't work. So the, the credibility starts to, starts to reduce. And, of course, the CDC has had its own problems in history in terms of uh, <laughs> their proclamation. So, uh, you know, in my mind, I mean, what I think what we should do is have guidelines and let people make their own decisions about their health. I think you're right. They well, do okay, resent. Here's the, here's the problem with that always. In other words, people should be able to make their own decisions about health. And, yes, the reality is if you, if you don't want to go into a restaurant, you don't have to go into a restaurant. If you don't want to go into a, a stadium, you don't have to go into a stadium or whatever it might be, Right. Right. But the problem that exists in a public health situation is that once things get out of control, because other people are doing these things, it starts circulating all around you. Yeah. And therefore, the people who want to take care of themselves can't even do the basic things that they need to do, like visit a supermarket or, you know, go into a... You know, it's, in order to, to, uh, to limit the spread of a disease, I don't care what disease it is, there's certain public health measures that everybody has to follow because diseases are very personal, but they're not personal at all. And public health crises are not an individual's choice alone. There, yeah. There's you know, always the problem of the commons. I agree and with that. You know, I'm, I'm so, re I, something that's influencing me, and I'm just going to mention this because it's a little off topic, but it really isn't. I'm just reading the book Plague of Corruption by uh, Judy, Dr. Judy uh, Mikovits. It is a fantastic read, but it points out the corruption in public health and some of the decisions that have been made in order to hide uh, problems in public health. So it's kind of influencing my thought, but I do highly recommend the book. It's been, uh, uh, it, tr people are trying to de uh, destroy her credibility on this thing, but I understand why. It's a big farm and others. 
but uh, I just <laughs> I just mentioned the name of the book, Plague of Corruption, by Judy Mikovits. Very interesting. I think look, we have we we have to find the right balance, and it's very very difficult. Absolutely. And, you know, it's um, again we're, we're seeing cases where it's getting out of control, and of course it's the most vulnerable in society, the elderly, the people who have pre-existing pre-existing conditions. And, and we have to, you know, we have to hope that there's a vaccine coming, and that we're only, you know, six, seven, eight months away, and we may have to make additional sacrifices so that we get there. That it, so it kills the least number of people. We also have this ongoing problem. We don't really know what the effect this has long term on on people. I have a friend, um, and she got it about oh six, eight weeks ago. Was sick for about a week, but she still has not gotten back her sense of taste or smell. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, so, you're right. It's it, it's 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 a Nova virus, so it's uh, it's all very scary. Mark, I wish we had more time to discuss. I always enjoy our conversations because, I, in some sense, we don't always agree, which always makes it more stimulating and interesting. Hopefully, for our listeners, Mark Shulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Check it out, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us. You, you, you as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to be visiting uh, with. Uh, Larry Reed, the uh, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I just want to underscore the importance of uh, supporting St. Matthew's House. Again, no government funding, and they do great things with accountability for the homeless, for people who are in need of food, for addictions. It has an addiction center. They have several businesses. You can visit them, support them in that way, or make a donation. Go to stmatthewshouse.org. Also, Lulabee's Diner, right in the Green Tree Shopping Center, does a great job of supporting them as well. And they have great food for breakfast and lunch. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. As I mentioned before the break, he's the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you. Hey, Larry, today is a big day for you. The release of your new book was Jesus a Socialist, Why This Question is Being Asked and Why the Answer is Almost Always Wrong. Released today. Congratulations. Hey, thank you very much. I'm quite excited about it. Yeah. So, uh, just out of curious, maybe you could tease us a little bit about the content of the book. Why is this question being asked again, and why is the answer almost always wrong? Well, the Internet is full of claims that Jesus would be sympathetic to socialism. All you have to do is a 
quick uh, Google search uh, of those terms, and you'll find a lot of people saying that uh, Jesus either was a socialist or sympathetic to uh, socialism. But in fact, uh, nothing could be further from the truth. He never supported or endorsed or called for an increase in taxes. He never called for the government ownership of the means of production, never called for the forcible redistribution of wealth through the government. I mean, everything he did and promoted was based in voluntarism, personal choice. Uh, there are many parables that he told in the Bible that support such things as voluntary association, the, the right of contract, private property, free choice. Uh, he was not a socialist at all. Yeah, in fact, the parable of the talents is my favorite, and it all, I think that, that actually says capitalism is good. You've got to take what you have and, and invest it in a wise way, and the person who does the best is, is somebody that he favors. That's right. In that, uh, that very parable, the, the person who does the least to magnify the wealth that he's been entrusted with is the one who comes in for criticism, and the man who turns it into the most mm-hmm. is the one who's praised. So why do you think uh, why do you think that uh, the question is coming up now, and why the answer is always almost always wrong? Well, there is a, an increase these days in uh, in socialism. You see that, uh, of course, in the popularity on the Democratic uh, Party uh, side of um, uh, Bernie Sanders, even though he didn't win the nomination. There's more interest in it, and I think it's it's misplaced. It's misinformed. A lot of people think that socialism is nothing more than wanting to help people. What they fail to understand is that uh, uh, you can help people under capitalism. In fact, arguably, uh, people get helped to a far greater degree. Living standards are higher under capitalism uh, than they are under socialism. The difference is that uh, one is uh, a system advances the idea of doing it peacefully and voluntarily, that's capitalism, but socialism uh, inevitably involves the use of force. No question, and you know, and we all want to see people do well. We all have, you know, <laughs> we have sympathy for the poor, for the down and out. All, you know, the the point is we need to do what's constructive. And the road to hell, one of my favorite ex- expressions, one of my, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah. There's all the good intentions in the world with socialism, but you know what? The outcome is always the same: centralized power, people hungry for power, wanting to retain it, and the, at the expense of the people they're ruling. That's right. The two kinds of people socialism produces. One, uh, those hungry for power, and two, those who are hungry. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, gr- that's great. I hadn't heard that before. So you wrote this column. I mean, your column really is uh, uh, pointing this out as well. Did Jesus despise money? Some great quotes in there. Yes, thank you. Uh, you know, some people say, uh, well, there's reference in the Bible to uh, filthy lucre. Uh, referring to money, and I've heard many people even suggest that Jesus used that term. But in fact, he never used that phrase, filthy lucre. It only appears uh, in the entire Bible four times, and in each and every case, it's employed by someone else, and always in reference to theft or dishonesty, as in uh, loot or ill-gotten gain. Absolutely, and uh, he he also uh, you pointing out dishonesty, but also the the whole notion he endorsed charitable giving. He, he wanted people to help others, not through government uh, programs, but rather through extending your own personal hand to help others. That's right. Uh, he told the parable of the Good Samaritan, and uh, that the point of that famous story is that. The man uh, was good, the Samaritan was good in this case, not because he said to the man in need, see you later, uh, let's have some government program take care of you, but he helped out uh, the man in need with his own resources and of his own free will. If he had done anything else, if he had simply said, uh, uh, sorry, it's not my responsibility, let the government help you, we would think of him today as the good-for-nothing Samaritan. Right. Well, it just reminds me of uh, uh, the... uh the leader, I'm forgetting his name now, uh, turning his back on Jesus and saying uh, the the government official actually not taking a stand to support Jesus at the time, at, yeah. at the point of his death. You you reference uh, the Apostle Paul in your column. Uh, yes, I do because uh, the Apostle Paul is uh, the man who uh, originated the phrase, uh, the or, or at least uh, focused his attention on the phrase, uh, the love of money. 
you have people today who pervert that and think that uh, Christianity is against money, uh, but uh, that's a misreading of the phrase from Paul, who condemned not money per se, but rather the love of it. And what he was saying was, don't worship money and don't let money run your life. There are more important priorities, namely God and many other things, too, uh, that more important than money. So put it in its proper place, but don't worship it or put it ahead of uh, uh, respect for God. Absolutely. Again, the name of the book is Was Jesus a Socialist? Why the question is being asked again and why the answer is almost always wrong. It's being released today. I'm sure you can get it on Amazon and other great book purveyors. Larry, congratulations, and I look forward to reading it myself. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Bob. All right. I'm sure he's got tons of media uh, interviews today talking about his book. Uh, it's, it, it is an important message that needs to be distributed. All right, coming up, uh, Jim McTagg. Jim is the author of a couple of great books, Murder Mysteries, uh, located in Washington, D.C., actually. The first is Follow the Leader, and the sequel is Shake the Money Tree. He's also former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get season tickets now by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Jim McTagg, as I mentioned before the break. He's Barron's, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great books, actually several books. His latest two murder mysteries are Follow the Leader and his sequel, Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure, Bob. You, know, you mentioned I worked for Barron's, and this morning I was fantasizing if I was writing this week's column, ah. what would my topic be? And the topic would be uh, President Trump's horrible, terrible, not-so-bad week. Mm. All right, so why was this a bad week for the president? Well, uh, why was it horrible and terrible? Yeah. Uh, I think the optics, you know, we all talk about presidential optics, uh, the optics of his response to the uh, riots and demonstrations was just really terrible. And, and it was a, a dumb idea for him to walk from the White House to, across Lafayette Square to St. John's Church, you know, with his lips puckered in uh, determination, 
uh, he looked ridiculous, and then he hoists the Bible up like a box of Cheerios and then walks back to the White House. Um, it was a clown show, and, and it, it let him open the criticism uh, that he doesn't know how to respond uh, in a democratic society. He's not. Uh, oh, and, and his call to use federal troops was a little bit over the top. Uh, but I, I'm saying that it was horrible. It was terrible. I mean, now you have Colin Powell and former members of the Joint Chiefs of Staff saying they won't vote for the guy. He's anti-democratic. Uh, so isn't this horrible. kind of isn't this kind of deja vu? I mean, I've, I think we've yeah, seen this yeah, show before. <laughs> Yeah, it is. That's why I'm, I'm saying it's not so bad, because <clears throat> in my mind, the, uh, the important date to focus on is September 29th. Uh, the place, uh, Notre Dame, South Bend, Indiana, it's the site of the first presidential debate. Mm. And uh, the first presidential debate is always very important because there are still, there'll still be a lot of undecided votes uh, by that time, number one. Uh, number two... By September 29th, we will have forgotten about uh, this week's events. That's mm-hmm. just the way the, the mind of the public mm-hmm. uh, works. Um, this morning when I, you know, I, I hit my desk at 6 a.m., uh, the first thing I see is a tweet from uh, President Trump, and he's pivoting to focus on the economy. And that's very important because I think a lot of the social unrest we see, I mean, I mean certainly the, the, the trigger uh, was it events in Minneapolis, uh, you know, and it was a hor- horrible situation. Sure. And, and a lot of innocent, uh, black people have been shot this year for some, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's just one after the other. Um, but, but the, uh, the point, the point being, uh, that, uh, in the, the economy is the reason for a lot of this social unrest. I mean, you know, the underlying racism and the frustration uh, broke through to the surface, but but so many people are out of work. Uh, they're not doing anything. They have time on their hands. Uh-huh. So so they're not being distracted uh, by the um, ordinary entrapments of life, like a nine-to-five job and running the kids to soccer practice and things like that. Well, I'm, know, not trying to, I'm not trying to diminish the importance of the movement, by the way. I'm, uh, you, know, you know, I think uh, racial discrimination is, a, is a, still a gigantic problem in the country. And, well, uh, you know, uh, to be honest, I don't. <laughs> Here's what I, my, my observation is this. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, bigotry and racism is not acceptable by anybody, but I just don't think it's a big problem. I don't think people think about people in terms of color. I think a lot of Democrat Party would like this identity politics because it promotes this divisiveness. So that's what they want. But my observation is this. I think this rioting and everything that's going on probably speak for, oh, maybe 5, 10 percent of the, so- of the population. But we've got the mainstream media piling on all of these events. They said they want clicks. They're looking for readers and uh, to pay attention to them. But I think for the most part, people people want law and order. They support the police. They support uh, uh, stability in our economy and what, what's uh, capitalism and so forth. I think this, this, uh, f- these fringe groups are not speaking for the American public. Well, I mean, we did have riots in 140 cities, so it wasn't an isolated event. Right. Uh, number one, I think people support policing but they don't support a police state and there's a difference yes and there our is police departments have become stormtroopers in many cities as opposed to uh, uh policemen so there's a problem there so i'm going to disagree but but uh-huh. uh, going ahead to the debates uh if you look back at 2016 uh the first debate with hillary uh trump uh, if you look at the newspaper results afterwards it was trump was his unvarnished self, this is going to cost him. Well, of course, we know retrospectively it didn't. that Trump's unvarnished cost, uh, self did not cost him at all. It boosted him. The second debate, in between the first debate and the second debate, we had the uh, notorious Billy Bush tapes surface where, where the president engaged in what he later called locker room yeah. talk about his conduct uh, towards women. Uh, that was supposed to be a disaster, and he pa- he parried it nicely, and pivoted and brought up uh, Bill's uh, sexual picadillos and and put 
put Hillary on the defensive. So um, my point is, is, as bad as things look for the president this week, two things to consider. First of all, he's a Republican in name only. Uh, and in, the, in 2016, the Republican Party stalwarts came out and condemned him and said they would not vote for him, and mm-hmm. it didn't make a difference. So so you can't conflate Trump and, and the Republicans. So so when somebody like General Colin Powell comes out and says, I'm going to vote for Joe Biden, I think it, it doesn't really resonate with the public. Well, you know, doesn't it, uh, it doesn't, when you hear somebody say, I'm going to vote for Joe Biden, doesn't it make you question their sanity? I mean, you watch Joe Biden, and what he's doing, he's bubbling, he's, he's not in touch, he's just... You know everything he says. It he's he's just not a good candidate. I feel for the Democrat Party, but when you say I'm going to support uh, vote for Joe Biden, my first response is, well, I I used to respect you. How could you say something like that? Well, you know, you mentioned Biden. Age will be a factor. I you know I went in the way back machine again, and I I went back to the John McCain campaign, uh-huh. and there was a host of articles again about the debates and. Uh, when McCain was running for president, we had the introduction of a new technology called HDTV. Mm-hmm. And what happened was HDTV, which was, uh, you know, so vivid that uh, the makeup artists uh, were pushed to their limits. Um, it made McCain look elderly on uh-huh. television. Uh-huh. And voters reacted negatively to that. Interesting. And it cost him... Uh, uh, my point being that uh, the debates are not going to help Biden uh-huh. uh, because of not only his Botox uh, forehead, but, you know, if he begins rambling, if he gets scrambled on stage, it's, it's going to be devastating I to mean, the campaign um, because people, they don't react, people react to the debate. They want to know who's the most presidential, who's big enough to sh- fill the shoes yeah. of a president. And um, if Biden stumbles in the first or second debate, he's finished. The third debate doesn't matter because uh, of early voting. Okay. The election is so, probably over by the time of the second debate. I'm going to ask an unfair question. Who's going to be the vice presidential candidate? <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> um, I have some answers that would get me into too much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's such uh, a, it, because apparently it's it's pretty much uh, the crutch that he has to lean on at this point, uh, in my view. You know, the, here's the other thing, too. The intensity of President Trump's support is so clear and vivid. I saw the Rasmussen report just recently uh, released uh, yesterday uh, that uh, his his uh, support is at 48%. Now, everything that's going on right now, you'd think that it'd be reduced. The highest I've seen has been 49%, so he's still at a high, at, at a high level right now. So uh, I'm sure there's undecided voters, and those are the people that he needs to uh, bring into the tent. But the, the intensity of support is so high, and I think Biden's is so low. Well, the other thing, too, is, uh, you know, we hold the, the refrain, the economy stupid. Trump will not be blamed for the uh, impact of COVID-19 on the economy, number one. Uh, Number two, the jobs report that came out was terrible because although it showed some improvement, uh, the opposite side is, you know, there's intense pain out there and there's intense financial distress among individuals. Yes. So, So when the president is deregulating and the newspapers are casting it as an attack on the environment, an attack on the American health of the American public, it isn't, it's, uh, you know, it's Ronald Reagan redo. Let's get rid of the red tape. Let's cut taxes. Let's get the economy growing again. So, so the president, by pivoting to the economy, if we see substantial improvements between now and the first debate, um, he's a shoe in. I, agree, I would agree uh, because with that. It, it is the economy. But I, it is the economy. But I do, I, I do worry about the underbelly of this of this economy right now because I think there's a lot of vulnerabilities. I just hope that we do have a quick recovery. Jim, I always appreciate. I just want to remind our listeners of your two great books: "Follow the Leader," the sequel, uh, "Shake the Money Tree, Tree." Just really great reads. Jim McTagg spelled M C capital T A G U E. Jim, appreciate your commentary so much. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, I am privileged to be one of your guests. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure indeed, Jim. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show, and I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. It was a lot of good information, and hopefully uh, 
provoked some thoughts on your part. Uh, always appreciate your feedback. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. We have great guests for tomorrow's show, including Kathleen Pasadomo and Boo Mortensen, and uh, Seton Motley will be with us. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.